This week, as we've mentioned, and if you maybe haven't caught it yet, but the joy, the joyous theme, the theme is joy today as we've sang joy to the world and hark the herald angels sing and, and our Advent reading centered on the idea of joy. And so, uh, I mean, this Christmas season, I, when I think of joy, I really think of kids. I think of my kids, I think of kids uh, opening presents and myself as, you know, running down the stairs to excitedly open gifts. And as you can see, like, when kids are opening gifts, there's, there's just complete joy on their faces. Uh, then there's my kids, you know, the day before Christmas, and uh, it's complete chaos. And so there's a lot of joy, I think you can see in that picture. Even Evie's a bit happy, and so um, as she's hanging upside down. And so... Uh, this is just a season where there's just this great anticipation of joy uh, because there's something I said, everyone keeps saying about this season that just brings happiness to people. But this joy that we are looking for is different than the happiness that people are, are, are uh, anxiously waiting for. And so this time of Christmas, right, there's, there's actually a bit of depression that happens in this season because people are faced with the realities, uh, you know, stresses of life or, you know, what, maybe things that are missing in their life. Uh, and they're just magnified, these circumstances around this time. And so I was actually in line just chatting with somebody, and they were just like, oh, I love Christmas and the joy that it brings, and actually the joy that it brings out in people. And somebody else is like, actually, I feel it's the opposite. People just get crazy around Christmas. And, you know, there's uh, some lack of joy within people because of the stress maybe of this season or the magnitude of something that they're going through uh, is really prevalent around this time. And so this time of Christmas, there is great joy that people experience because of the things, you know, maybe they've received. You know, we're, like I said, my kids are going to get some gifts. So you, maybe you're going to get some gifts. Uh, I hope so. And, you know, you're going to really enjoy them. But this time of the year is actually then followed by the most depressing time of the year. And January, and it's not because it's so dark so early here, but it's because people open their credit card statements and they recognize, how did I spend this much at Christmas? But it, there's just they recognize that there's something missing even more in their lives. And so, on page one of the Bible, right from the beginning, God says that this world, he's actually very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful things and the good things of life. You know, like maybe your family is growing. You know, some people find joy when they're out on their walks. And this is a beautiful, country, uh, beautiful landscape that we are in here in the Okanagan. And people find joy in that. And so the poet of Psalm, actually 104, says, a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's heart. And so people find joy in many different areas. They find joy at a wedding, or they find joy in their children. Uh, there's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy that a good friend brings to your heart. And so if you're looking for your wife to buy her something that's going to make her happy, it sounds like perfume is the way to go and because it, it will bring some uh, joy to their nose. And you know what? It's obviously perfume smells spectacular. Um, I don't wear perfume, obviously. Um, it's cologne because I'm a man. Anyway, so we're just getting off topic. However, human history, actually we see it, is not this joy fest that happens. The biblical story shows that we're actually in a world that is corrupted by our own selfish desires. And it's marked by death. It's marked by loss. And this is where biblical faith offers this actually this unique perspective on joy. And so it's this attitude that, you know, God's people adopt, not because of, you know, happy circumstances, but because of the hope of God's love and promise that is given to us. 
And so we see this actually back in the Old Testament a bit, and it's a prelude to when Jesus is going to come as a baby and then what his death and his resurrection is going to mean for us. But when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, uh, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing actually the Israelites do, you know, they always get a lot of bad rap because of the way they responded. But the first thing they actually did was they sang for joy. Because even though they were in the middle of a desert, a deliverer has come. And so this is actually going to be a prelude to what is going to happen in the New Testament. So they were vulnerable, and the promised land was still far away, and they rejoiced anyways, actually, the Israelites did. You know what? There's a little bit of rejoicing amongst a lot, amongst a lot of complaining among the Israelites, but we see it right from the beginning when Moses was appointed, this new leader, that there is this joy that came. And so later, the biblical poets look back on this story, and they re- remembered how the Lord causes people to leave with joy, his chosen ones to shout with joy. And so there's this joy in the wilderness. This was this defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is actually not going to be determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. And so we start to see this in Isaiah. When we read these prophecies in Isaiah, the word that's really attached to most of them is this word joy. And there's a list of prophecies that are going to pop up here. There's Isaiah 9, 2 to 3. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged a nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Isaiah 35, 10 says this, And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away, actually. And actually, it's reiterated again in Isaiah 51, 11. It says, Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. And so this is why it's significant that Jesus of Nazareth was coming. And it was announced by the angels as saying this, good news that brings great joy, as we read. That was it. Finally, the long-awaited gift. We see it connected in Isaiah to that first announcement. The gift of great joy is here. Let's read that again, Matthew 2, 10 to 11. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So when we get to the Christmas story here in Matthew and and Luke, we actually see joy attached to every character who comes in contact with Christ. Every character that we see in the Christmas story has this word joy that they are feeling when they come in contact with Jesus. And this is going to be a prelude then to our life with Jesus and what he's encouraging us to do, draw close to him to find that everlasting joy. And so the story of God's coming to be with God's people in flesh and blood, the joy factor is through the roof. They're bubbling over with joy. It's gone viral. It's contagious. It's infectious. And if you've been around somebody who's joyful, you can say that it's actually very contagious and infectious. They were so excited because the dawning of indestructible joy has now been upon them, and it actually is never going to go away. 
So today there's two characters I want to focus on. Um, and then we're going to have our soup, and we're going to enjoy it, and we're going to fellowship together, and then we'll be joyful because our bellies are full. And so let's look at these two characters in the Christmas story. They're Mary and Zechariah that we're going to talk about today. Before we get to Mary, let's look at Zechariah. In those days, Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, were barren. They had no children. And there's actually probably nothing worse than this, being barren in this time. Because having a child meant someone to take care of you as you got older, because there was no pension plans, there was no CPP, there was no OAS or anything like that. It also meant you had a stake in Israel's future if you had a child. And the promises were bestowed upon Israel, and so that meant the promises of your family were continuing if you had a child. And so for years, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had hoped for a son. They had hoped for a child. They were longing for one. But after years and cycles of their hope, you know what, being destroyed and disappointment coming upon them, they had resolved themselves to the fact that, you know what, they're never actually going to have a child. And so by this point, this kind of permanent disappointment had kind of settled upon them. Plus, they had to deal with all the questions people asked about them. And you know what, sometimes that's harder. And if you've gone through something, you're just like, I don't want to go out in public because I just don't want to have to answer the questions. They were barren, they had to go out, and they had to answer the questions. Oh yeah, Zechariah and Elizabeth, like I wonder what's wrong with them. I wonder why God is actually so displeased with them, because child meant blessing in this day, so God must have not been pleased with them. What don't we know about them? What's going on with them? But then, everything changes. The angel, Gabriel, appears to Zechariah while Zechariah is in the Holy of Holies. And for this was a huge honor for Zechariah because the lot fell on him to light the incense in the Holy of Holies. This was the place where God's presence was housed. And so then the angel appears and says to Zechariah, he says this, don't be afraid, as we mentioned this before. You know, the angels always seem seem to come and say, don't be afraid. And he said, your prayers have been heard and you will have a son and you will name him John. Zechariah, you're right, should be thrilled. He's in the Holy of Holies. An angel comes and appears to him, tells him he's having a child. This is like the coolest experience ever. This is everything him and his wife they've hoped for, but he comes with doubt. Zechariah's refusal to believe arises out of his past hurt. Zechariah had this heart full of doubt. As I mentioned, this permanent disappointment had settled upon him. He had this doubt that God is capable or even able because of his bitterness of what has happened in the past. And Zechariah thinks his bitter past trumps the promises and the power of the sovereign God. He's thinking, you know what, what I've experienced, you might say it's going to happen, but I don't believe you. Do we ever find ourselves in that space sometimes? It's a question for you just to ponder. You know what? You feel like, you know, you've maybe had so much disappointment and you're hoping for something good, but you doubt it's going to happen. Like, I struggle with this too. There's things we're going through our lives right now, Kim and I, that, you know, there's struggles and we feel it. And we're constantly having to come to Christ saying, Lord, mend my heart. Lord, soften my heart. Lord, I need to know that and I need to know in my heart that this is, you will come through. Zachariah says to the angel, he's like, what? He's like, I'm so advanced in my years. He's like, I'm advanced in years, and Hebrew actually means, it's like a much stronger phrase than old. It's not like he's saying, I'm old. He's like, I'm so advanced in years. 
He's like, I'm old, but my wife is actually older. He's saying, like, my wife's birth certificate actually says expired. That's why he is like, Zechariah is like, my wife is that old. How can she have a baby? And since Zechariah doesn't believe, Gabriel says, you won't be able to speak until he's born. This is huge to remember. Zechariah doesn't believe. He doubts, and he's not able to speak until the baby is born. Now, he couldn't speak until John was born. He was mute. Let's read Luke 1, 46 to 55. I don't have it up on the screen. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 1, 46 uh, to 55. If not, I'll read it for you. This is Mary's song. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercies extend to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary is met by an angel, just like Zechariah was. And then she sings this song. This song really comes after Mary's life has just been turned upside down. Because the unexpected has happened. And there, you know, it should be a lot for her that she has to worry about. Let's look at Mary's life situation right now. First life-changing event is that she's this, that she's pregnant with the Savior of the universe. No pressure at all. Please keep that baby safe. This is a huge, huge thing. Not only she's pregnant, but she's pregnant with the Savior of the universe. Along comes an angel who tells her, you're going to be pregnant. She's like, "Mm, I know you're an angel, and this might be a little hard to understand, but there's this whole virgin thing, and he's like, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit, you know what, will come upon you, yada, 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 and you'll be pregnant. And, oh yeah, he's the son of God. Please keep him safe. She has this pressure of being pregnant with the Savior to be worried about. First off, huge. Second thing, with this pregnancy now comes this bad reputation. There's this huge difference between Zechariah and Mary. Sometimes we wonder why Zechariah was unable to speak because of his response of doubt. And Mary was allowed to speak because, you know, it might have felt like there was this response of doubt. But Zechariah was told he would have a child with his wife. With his wife. They're married. The shock that would come was simply because they were old. That's it. That would be the shock. Oh, we're we're having a baby? Okay. I'm really old, but we're having a baby. That's cool. But there would be no bad reputation that would come with that. It wasn't going to transform their life or transform their reputation like it was going to transform Mary's reputation. Zechariah was the response of disbelief because of his hurt, because of his dissatisfaction, because he felt that, you know, it was never going to happen. Mary's was a response of actually wonderment. Mary was not just pregnant, but she was pregnant out of wedlock. And this was a serious, serious scandal. And to add this, she was engaged to another guy, but they lived apart so people knew that this baby wasn't his. Therefore, she would have to be considered a loose person, someone who who betrayed her fiancé. And so the stain of this reputation was going to stay with her in the eyes of many for the rest of their life. Even when Jesus was old, 
there were some who still told the story that Mary had gotten pregnant by a Roman soldier. Still, the story was continuing that way. The third thing was that she was very poor. Like, these aren't good circumstances for Mary. How do we know this? Well, in Luke 2, 22 to 24, it says this. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the law, Lord. And so a pair of doves or two pigeons. And so in Leviticus 12, God commanded each Israelite family to dedicate their firstborn to the God, which means to make an offering. This was because of the Exodus. And so now this text says that Mary and Joseph offered two pigeons instead of a lamb, which was supposed to be offered, a lamb. But they couldn't offer a lamb because they couldn't afford a lamb. And so if you were poor, what the acceptable offering was, was two doves or two young pigeons. So Mary is a poor, teenage, pregnant, out-of-wedlock girl who has a forever stained image. Then the last thing, the last thing in her life, and you know, if you can't get much worse than this, she has a marriage that's still up in the air. Mary, right around now, she's 15, 16, maybe 17 years old. They got married young. She's betrothed to Joseph, and naturally what happens next a young girl gets pretty excited when they're engaged. I, you know, I, I remember when Kim and I got engaged. I remember all the scrapbooking, all the conversations, all the things I wasn't allowed to be a part of um, that was happening. Jeremy, you try to make, we tried to make our own invitations, and I'm not crafty at all. And so we did this thing where it's like our invitation was here and had all the information, and we had this like picture that we put on and pinned through. And I pinned it terribly, and so you'd like turn it up, and you can only see like half of the information. And so she sent all those ones to my family. Just kidding, she didn't. <laughs> but she's excited. She's getting married, right? She's planning this wedding. She's probably on Pinterest. I don't know. And so she's practicing signing her new last name, Joseph or Mary the Carpenter. I don't know what her last name would have been. She's naming her future children, making, you know what, scrapbooks, but not Mary. Mary is busy trying to convince her fiancé that she hasn't been running around on him. That she's facing the prospect of living forever as a lonely woman seen as damaged goods. So the angel didn't even tell Joseph until about several months later. So when Mary is writing this, when she is singing this song of praise, when we read Mary's song, this is everything she's experiencing. This is not what Mary was expecting. This is not what Israel was expecting in regards to Messiah. This amazing thing happens through all this uncertainty, through all of what lies ahead of Mary. She sings this wonderful song of praise because of something that is now within her, the joy of the world. In the toughest of circumstances, she has the joy of the world within her. We see two different approaches between Mary and Zechariah. We see this bottom-up approach with Zechariah. What does this mean? This starts with you and your life, your experiences, your feelings, your circumstances, and you project all those up to God. And so that's how you view it will define the things that you are going through because what you are experiencing right now. So when things are bad, you feel like God doesn't care about you. When things are good, you feel like God cares about you because it's the way you feel and you're projecting them up to God. This is an emotional and spiritual roller coaster. 
Whatever you're feeling that day is the motion that you project onto God. Things aren't going my way. So I'm projecting how I'm feeling with God up to him. And so Zechariah's response was one on emotion, one on pain, where he didn't feel God cared for him. And so he projected his experiences in not having a baby on God. I'm not sure what you're going through right now. Maybe you're living a bottom-up approach where you feel like God's not there, he's not happy with you, or something's not happening in your life. And so you're experiencing, your experiences are being projected onto him and what's defining your relationship and defining what's going to happen in your life. Or there's this top-down approach. This assumes that God is who he says he is. And according to the Bible, which reveals God's true character, his nature and his attributes. So this begins with believing that God is good. He is always all together. He's good. He made everything good. His plan is that he has to continually and will continually work for your good. And Mary lived with this top-down approach. Mary focused on what she knows true about God. And because of this, she could sing. Even though everything in her natural circumstances were going to be tough, they were going to be hard, they were going to be unknown, there was going to be lots of pain, she didn't project those up to God. She let what was known true by God be projected down onto her, that he is good, that you have now the joy with inside of you, the joy of the world. And so what Mary shows us and what we need to see apply in our lives is this, is that as our theology Theology meaning study with God becomes our biography. Now that as our study with God becomes personal in our lives, then it will culminate in doxology, which means praise to God. So it looks something like this. As we learn more about God, as we learn more about who he is, that theology of Christ, and as it becomes personally into our lives, into the biography of our lives, as that theology invades who we are, then it should then begin to see a praise that comes from our life, a doxology that happens. This is top-down approach to relationship with Jesus, not a bottom-up approach relationship with Jesus. Let the study of God, let knowing him, knowing Christ, invade your personal life. And as it invades your personal life, and as you know it to be true about him, please, let's we sing praises because of what we know is true about God, not of what we are believing is going through our circumstances right now, but what we know is true about God. And so what this means is that our relationship with God invades and impacts our life, and it should lead us to praise. And Mary, she showed us this practice because her understanding of God had now become this personal thing. God has come to dwell with her and now she is full of joy. Because of this theology, Mary recognizes it that she's blessed. Everything that she might experience in the eyes of the world, this unexpected twist to her life is blessed. And can we say that as we go through life because we have Jesus with us that we are blessed. And what is even more remarkable is an unexpected response from Mary, this beautiful song. She's singing because Jesus is the blessing. Jesus is the blessing that we are all looking for. So we can all say that we are blessed because Jesus is now within us who have accepted him. This is the blessing that she has carried, that she is carrying God. 
even though her life circumstances are not pleasant, even though she is, she is full of joy because the Messiah is with her. And so the challenge is, as we live out this life, as we recognize the things that we are going through, as we navigate tough circumstances, do we recognize the joy that is with us? Because Mary, she said, God is my Savior. He has looked on upon me. I was hungry, and he fed me. I was lowly, and he exalted me. Nothing has changed in her circumstances. Nothing has changed. She's not rejoicing in what God has actually given her, but what God has become to her in Christ. And at this point, Christ in her is the only exaltation that she has. It's the only thing that she can lean on to. The baby in her womb is, all, is her only fulfillment, her only sustenance, her only salvation. Mary is showing us that joy is defined isn't defined by our circumstances, but it is who is with us. Our joy isn't defined by our circumstances, but by who is with us. See, joy is not happiness on steroids, nor is a denial of reality. It's not like sticking your head in the ground and being like, you know what, everything's fine, I'm fine, I can't see it, so I'm happy, and this is okay. Christian joy, that's not what it means. Joy isn't denial of grief or pretending happiness. See, joy is an affirmation of the truest thing about us, the truest thing in our lives. And learning to trust that truest thing about us, the truest thing in our lives, and that joy, his name is Jesus. We sang the song, Joy to the World, today. Beautiful song, amazing song. Our kids, you know what? They did an awesome job, even when a Georgia forgot to put up the joy at the end. And, you know, it's okay. We won't bother her about that. Maybe. Will you? Maybe. They probably will. Yeah, they're shaking their head. But the person who wrote Joy to the World, his name is Isaac Watts. He was himself plagued by disease. He had physical illness to the point where he couldn't pastor anymore. He was also rejected when he proposed uh, marriage to his bride. Like, nothing worse than that. Then, you know, I was saying, like, will you marry me? And somebody's saying no. And so you're like, oh, I'm just getting something off my shoe anyway. So I was just testing it out, seeing if you were there. I'm not there, so let's just continue on. But Isaac walks, he faced a hard life. He also faced constant opposition about his work by those both inside and outside of the church. So how in the world did this guy write joy to the world? It was actually the way of preaching the hope of the gospel to himself, is why he wrote it. It was his fight for the ultimate joy there is, Jesus. See, joy is this strong current that runs underneath the stormy surface of our life. It helps our attitudes. It shapes our hearts. And it's found in Jesus, the perfect Savior to a desperate world. His joy is not circumstantial, nor does it bend a knee to suffering. His joy is actually not dormant uh, in the face of difficulty, and it doesn't succumb to sadness. That current that runs underneath us will sustain us. Even though we might not feel it or see it all the time, as we draw close to it, it nourishes our souls. I'll just invite the worship team up. I'm just going to close with this. The, and you can play softly as I close, Curtis. So the first picture of Jesus with us is this picture that shows us no matter what is unexpected in our life, our joy is simply found in Jesus. Mary's life, 
there is unexpected circumstances that she was faced because of Jesus came into her life, but she had the everlasting joy with her, the joy to the world. Mary is described as this. She's described as the Theotokos, which means mother of God or God-bearer. And so as we read the gospel and we apply it to our lives, I explained it to my kids. I explained it to Bible school students as I talked to them, as we, I would teach them. As you read and reflect personally on the gospel, there's a character who is you and there's a character who is Jesus. Real simple. There's someone who is you. There's someone who is Jesus. Sometimes we want to be the hero in the story, but we have to recognize actually we're not the hero in the story. More likely, we're that other person on the other side of the story who needs the hero to save us. So Mary is us, and Jesus obviously is Jesus. So we take this section of scripture. We are like Mary. We're poor. We're broken. Maybe we've get, gone through life with a, a bad reputation in some areas. But we are actually pictures of Theotokos, God bearers, Jesus with us. Jesus dwelling inside of Mary. We accept him into our lives. He dwells with us. And Mary has much joy because of the Savior living within her, no matter the circumstances. So for those, I want to ask the question, do you have that joy living inside you? Have you accepted him into your life? Have you made that commitment to follow him forever? To have that joy living inside of you? The next question is, are you actually, for those who have accepted him, who say, Jesus is with me, he lives inside of me, are you a God-bearer? Are you joyful? Because you have the joy of the world living in, within you. He's come to reside within you. He wants to be that stream that runs underneath the difficulties of life. Now, just as Mary had Jesus with her, she gave birth to him. I'm told that's why, how it happens. That was a joke. It's okay. She gave birth to the joy of the world, the joy that people were longing for. She distributed joy. She distributed joy. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus become and flesh through us. So we become distributors of joy too. We are to be these pictures of Theotokos, joy living inside of us and also us birthing joy around us. So are we helping those in need? Are we producing the image of Christ in this world that people so long to see and actually are dying for? Everyone is on the search for happiness. There's many books. As you go into the bookstore and you go into the self-help section, they all resolve around the topic of finding happiness. But we have it. We have this joy joy to the world inside of us. Are we letting that current run through us? Are we letting people see it outside of us? Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we can gather this Sunday, Lord, and that we can embrace, Lord, what this picture of Jesus means, Lord, what this birth of Jesus means to us, this joy, unspeakable joy, this joy to the world that everybody has longed for, everybody has needed, that everybody wanted is finally here. 
Lord, let us not have hearts like Zechariah, where we let our circumstances of life dictate how we respond to things, let it dictate how we feel. Lord, and I know that's so hard to say and to do, Lord, but we need to be more like Mary. And it's simply like Mary because she has Jesus within her. Lord, we have you within us. We say that we've accepted you, that this joy of the world is in us. Lord, we need to be pictures of Theotokos, pictures of joy. The world's longing for it. The world needs it. The world is in a deep desire to find what they say is happiness. We have something so transformative that's so joyous that we should be shouting it from the rooftops. The joy of the world that we so long for. Thank you, Father. Amen.